In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. John 18, verse 36. And to my children, this planted in their young minds the image, not uncommon to many young people, of a kingdom in another world, another place, perhaps heaven above. They imagined angels frolicking in the clouds, God sitting on a magnificent throne, a place they believed they stood a chance at glimpsing each time they soared high above the earth in an aeroplane a place perhaps the astronauts may pass through as they hurtled into outer space. All good stuff of the young mind. But of course, none of us have happened upon heaven as humans. Or have we? It may be another realm, another dimension, but we can't see it, touch it, smell it, taste it. We can believe, as our creed says, in all that is seen and unseen, and act in faith. I grew up with my own juvenile concept of heaven, not because we talked about it at home, we didn't. I formed my own ideas from sitting and being, wondering about the meaning of life, catching a teaching here, an idea there, and taking them to places of my own. The nuns who taught me did talk about souls. My soul was a big part of who I was. My soul was sinless. It was the little bit of God inside me. It was my soul that would go to heaven, very much neater to my mind than the raising of the dead during the second coming. Knowledge of that was to come later. I played with the idea that heaven could exist here on earth if I allowed God to reign, to have dominion in my life. I played with tapping into the imago dei, tasting the joy of the soul, yearning for God and perhaps experiencing heaven on earth. Yes, while I was alive. We're created in God's image after all. There has to be a little bit of God in all of us. Have you found yours yet? Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Social Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Cara Putman, an ordinary woman with an amazing God who's going to offer all of us a way to enjoy this upcoming season as much as our children will. I'll be talking about Thanksgiving last week and our daughter's visit, homeschool co-oping, photo taking and learning ABCs without singing. Her tea is in my cup today. I had my caffeine early and a milk chocolate hobnob to round off my 11s. So put your feet up and join me for an hour as I natter on about global warming, falling leaves and dropped H's or not. As promised last week, an update on Thanksgiving and a lowdown on the turkey, which I didn't see in real life because by the time it showed up at our house, it was carved and neatly wrapped in tinfoil ready for warming and gravy. We managed to get everyone around one table, well, two really snuggled together, and we found extra chairs since we'd given four away with our kitchen table to our son in his apartment. Non-matching tablecloths added to the bohemian feel of the many mismatchedness, 
for a family holiday meal. And it was all worth the trouble. Nothing quite like sitting around the same table. There was way too much food, and I still have goodies staring at me from the shelves of the fridge. Do you? (laughs) I hid some desserts in the freezer for a lot later. Where's my trusty dog? I miss him. He never seemed to get fat and really helped me out with these everlasting leftovers. And now we're in the official season. It is Advent, the first Sunday of Advent on Sunday. Sharing is a word that is being bandied around. I've been thinking a lot about this heavy word. You know, we insist our children share their toys, their goodies, their experiences. The word selfish used to hang in the air and hover over their pretty little faces as they watched their possession being toddler handled by a careless sibling or playmate. And, well, lately it's been hanging over my countenance as I prepare to share or even lose my son to his future wife. I've never been good at sharing my children with others. I always wanted to be all my children needed as a friend, a confidant, a mentor. But they'd let me know when they needed someone else. So I'm going to talk a bit about my first foray into the world of co-oping, also known as sharing. Caution was a break I applied countless times during this period of my homeschooling life. While my children were under 21, well, all right, 18 because of college, I took the notion that if you put one good apple in a barrel of rotten ones, it wouldn't miraculously freshen up all the rotten apples to pie-baking excellence. Conversely, If there was one rotten peach thrown into a barrel of good peaches, that's it. No peach butter for you. Before letting our children loose on the world, their foundations must be sure and steady so that they have a halfway fighting chance at being the change for the good in the world that surrounds them. Now, I know this may sound as though I promote complete isolation. I don't. Complete preparation is good. Erring on the side of caution is very good. They need tools. And one of my guests, Nicole O'Dell, said when hot topics in life come up at school, she wants her children to be ready with the answers or at least know the truth so they don't get wrong ideas and information. We, the parents, have to be aware and vigilant of what is going on in our children's lives so that we can broach some of the harder topics like drugs, alcohol and sex before they're brought up by their friends or not so friends at school or at church or even at the homeschool flag football game. Let's face it, most of the time, their peers are next to clueless when it comes to offering wise advice. I was happy to share my children with the world when they'd mastered quadratic equations and rhetorical dissertations and their potential teachers had passed my pre-screening. Let's face it, we can't protect our children from everything and there's only so much delving that can go on when making new acquaintances. But we can have open channels of communication with them so they feel comfortable talking to us about most topics, hot or not. Funnily enough, even today, with my youngest at almost 21 still living with us, she tells me more than I need to know. And I say to my Texan, blue eyes are popping out of his head, I want to know what's going on in her life, and if I overreact, she'll keep things from me. And how often have you worked something out in your head by talking it out with others? Well, my children got wind of this co-oping possibility. Their abandoned excitement at leaving the kitchen table and their shackles behind and welcoming outside interruptions, which I call disruptive intrusions, broke my heart. I was no longer all that. They wanted distractions from their mother. They wanted to leave home, if only for an afternoon. They wanted another source of learning, even if it was science or art or playing or filmmaking or calculus. 
I procrastinated enough. I had to broach the uncharted waters of co-oping. I'd be approaching other homeschooling mums, of course. Most of the other mothers I knew worked outside the home or lunched with their girlfriends. Where should I go to find these teaching mums who would enrich a slowly growing family? I say slowly growing, not because I was adding to my family steadily each year, which I could have been if it hadn't been for my very cautious doctor, who told me that four were all my body could handle. And my hobs and bank account tended to agree, but only to keep my spirits up, he hastened to add, as I'd hoped for six. My toddlers were growing slowly, living with them every nanosecond, had them stuck in time. They never seemed to get any older. Know what I mean? With four young children, the minutes and hours just dragged by. And the day went on forever, even when I was loving every moment of it. How I long for those endless hours now. But to be brutally honest, most of what I went through at this stage of my mothering teaching career was mind-numbingly tedious. I needed homeschool mothers to make the distraction work, and I had to rack my brains as to where to go and find them. No nifty computer to Google homeschool co-ops in my local area. I had to be the Google search engine and hunt them down in my van. Where had I been first introduced to other homeschoolers? Well, my well-heeled stranger helped me there, as they were mostly her friends and mostly hung out at the gym. I had to humble myself a bit, as I had hastily abandoned all of them as not my type, and turned my back to go my own way. So I hastily whispered a prayer, invoked his will, crossed myself and bundled everyone into the Google engine van and drove to the recreation centre. I was having sharp stabbings of guilt, or perhaps it was indigestion, as I realised I was going to be expecting my children to play alongside, learn with and enjoy the company of children who may not be their types either. I arrived at the gym just in time for my son's classes and immediately saw the family my brain had originally passed up on. There they were, all umpteen of them. I tried counting as they bounced off the walls and decided they were enough to have their own football team. Mum was nowhere in sight. She was probably in the car having some quiet time. Oh, no, she wasn't. I spied her sneaking out of the restroom, a good hideout, and made a beeline for her. My stomach was churning. She looked distracted. I was determined. Approach and declare would just have to suffice. So, you homeschool, do you? I asked bluntly. She looked over at me and grabbed a young child against her leg. Are you kidding? These children would drive me mad. Plus, they'd never listen to me. I tended to agree with her there and smiled, glad that my stereotyping had backfired this time. I started watching my son's classes through the window when a mother next to me with a young child in her arms said, I'm considering homeschooling. I turned and saw a lean woman who didn't look at all homeschooly to my mind. I'd noticed her before and remembered she always brought art to do with her children while waiting for a class to finish. Oh, so when do you think you're starting? I asked this slender stranger. My husband and I are probably going to be pulling our older son, she gestured to the young boy standing next to one of my sons at the balance beam. All out of school this week, then we'll start homeschooling him. She turned to me and looked at my girls surrounding me with eager expressions on their faces. So you homeschool, she asked, a new interest in her eyes. Yeah, I've been at it for almost four years. I found it to be a gentle, slow-paced experience. 
As she looked back at the gym floor, I imagined I was being brushed off as not her type, so I forged ahead. I noticed that you're an artist, and I'm looking for someone to teach my children art, and if you haven't started yet, you may not want to consider co-oping so soon. I was determined that she'd give me half a chance. I mean, who can resist an English accent? Right, well, it didn't exactly go like that, but for the benefit of this illustration of a straightforward approach to co-oping, I decided to reduce several quite long conversations with many awkward pauses into one short and completely implausible one. This family of three, who had children conveniently aged at the correct intervals for my four, became our first attempt at co-mingling skills and imparting them to our collective offspring. And it's time to go on a break, so go replenish your tea and grab yourself another biscuit, and I'll be back with my guest. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4 or 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is certified as a life coach who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you here on Connect with Juliana. Through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on Juliana and her show, check out her website, connectwithjuliana.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Get the competitive edge and take your success to the next level with the Gold Medal Success Show and your host, Forrest Fisher, six-time U.S. National Gold Medalist. Tune in every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central, 6 Pacific, here on the Rockstar Radio Network as Forrest gives you access into the mindset of true champions and helps you apply these success principles to your life and business for immediate results. Each show will feature guest athletes and business experts who have achieved tremendous success and are ready to share their stories of struggle, glory, tragedy, and triumph, revealing tips and strategies Forrest and these guest experts use to propel themselves to world-class success. Many people live their whole lives wanting more. The Gold Medal Success Show will demonstrate that anyone can have a more fulfilling and satisfying life when they put a few basic principles into play. Make every day game day with the Gold Medal Success Show each Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Central here on the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. 
our guest this week is Kara Putman, who was a homeschooler herself and now homeschools her own children. She graduated from high school at 16, college at 20, and completed her law degree at 27. Kara wrote her first novel in 2005 and now has 15 published books. Today we're going to talk about she balances her writing and law career and works at being a good wife and mother. Kara sees herself as an ordinary woman with an amazing God. Welcome to my show, Kara. Thank you. I'm so delighted to be here with you today. Well, good. And um, I was reading through um, a couple of your bios, and you've got um, a very similar one to my children, whereby they graduated early, went to college early, graduated college early, and um, forged ahead with their careers. So um, tell us a little bit about what homeschooling for you was like um, many years ago, because I know it wasn't as common then, was it? That's right. Yeah, when we started, when my family started homeschooling, uh, it was the very first year that it was legal in Nebraska, so 1985. And we were admittedly oddities. People just weren't quite sure why you would homeschool. And it was so new that they always assumed that something must be wrong or you mm-hmm. wouldn't be homeschooling. And um, the first year we were homeschooling, my grandfather was also a school superintendent. So he wasn't exactly excited about it. And my mom and dad just forged ahead. And it was the kind of thing that I always loved because I spent um, a semester in a public school and several years in small Christian schools. And what I loved about homeschooling was the fact that I could tackle my assignments and I could get done quickly and then move on to other things. And so for a student like me, that was just wonderful. I could spend my afternoons reading biographies or reading whatever I wanted to um, and doing different activities. But we were definitely the oddities. And I found that when I started homeschooling my children, one of the things I had to learn was how much perceptions had changed in 20 years mm-hmm. and that homeschooling was no longer seen as something very weird and why would you do that? What's wrong with you? And instead, the reaction I would get when I told people that we were homeschooling our children was, man, I wish I could do that. Mm-hmm. So why did your parents decide to homeschool? How many of you? I mean, have you got siblings? I do. I'm the oldest of four. And so my two brothers were only homeschooled until they hit college. But my sister and I had been in school for a few years before it became legal. And for my parents, um, what motivated them was the opportunity to make sure that their children had uh, education that integrated Christianity into it, that our faith could be a part of what we were studying instead of a separate aspect of our lives. And so that was really the fundamental reason. And then it also allowed us to um, go forward at our own pace. And um, so it worked really well for us girls who were pretty motivated scholars. And then for my brothers, when, you know, they needed to slow down or whatever, it gave them the flexibility to, to do that and so that they could excel as well. So your parents at the same time just decided to pull all four of you, well, your boys, the, your brothers weren't in, home, weren't in school yet, but just to do all, all or nothing. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was one of those that um, they really, I don't think they could have ever even imagined that there would have been another alternative, that only homeschooling a few of us would have even been an option. Yeah, yeah. So uh, who, I mean, were there other people in your church homeschooling? Who who, um, gave them the idea? Did they have a mentor? No, they really... um, 
got the idea. Somehow they got plugged into a network in Nebraska. Homeschooling came around because a um, small Christian school didn't go through all the proper steps with the state to have a small school in their church. And so the pastor and the fathers were actually thrown in jail. And it was this really big scandal. And Mm -hmm. out of it um, came our homeschooling line in Nebraska, where for a very long time, the only reason you could homeschool in Nebraska was for religious reasons. It's only been in the last seven or eight years that they've broadened that to where you can homeschool for any reason at all. Mm -hmm. And so through that whole process, my parents had gotten plugged in with other families that were interested in the idea of homeschooling and were thinking it might be an option. But really, for most of the time that I was homeschooling, I remember being about one of the older kids who was homeschooled, and there just weren't a lot of people like at my age um, across the state that were homeschooling. Nowadays, it's very different. It's still Mm -hmm. accepted, but... Initially, you know, it wasn't like you were talking about in the segment leading up to this, you know, how do you find families? How do you find other homeschoolers? And it was just the network that built over time. Mm-hmm. That's right. And it is so much easier today with the Internet because you literally can just type in, you know, sort of the word homeschool and all kinds of stuff comes up, you know, in your area and things to do. And, you know, it's just it's just much, much easier to to reach out and find more homeschoolers and more what um, things to help you um, homeschool curriculum if you want curriculum or ideas. Yeah, exactly. And I remember when we started homeschooling, um, my mom used a Becca. And at that time, you could only get a Becca through a Christian school. You Mm. couldn't buy it directly from the company. Mm. And nowadays, you go to a curriculum fair, and there are hundreds Mm. of options. It's almost overwhelming Mm. to... You know, to sit down and go, okay, what do I use with my kids? And so often when people will come to me and they'll ask about homeschooling and they'll tell me they're considering it, I specifically keep three different types of curriculum here at my house so I can have them over. I can show them here are the three basic ways that you can homeschool. Here are some options. And now, you know, look at these and see which ones you think will work with your children to try and help remove some of that. Um, just being completely overwhelmed by an abundance of options, especially that first year or two where you're just trying to figure out how to actually do it. Mm, that's right. So you decided um, right from the beginning to homeschool your own children. Was it such success that you went, this is it, I'm not going to do anything else with my children but homeschool them? Yeah, um, it was definitely from the time my husband and I um, we're talking about getting married, and then as we were talking about starting our family, um, homeschooling was definitely at the top of our list of options. Um, even though my husband wasn't homeschooled, he, from being around my family and knowing some other people who had, he looked at it and went, it's a great option. And then we are very blessed to live in a community that has some wonderful Christian schools. And so in some ways, that has actually been freeing because every year I can sit there and, and do an evaluation of, is this still the best thing for my children? Is this where we're supposed to be as a family? Versus when my parents were homeschooling, the town we lived in didn't have a Christian school option. And so it really was you homeschool or you go to public school, and there wasn't anything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're also very fortunate that we're plugged into a great co-op. And so I can teach the high school students, um, and then there are other moms who really pour into my kids. And so it's just been a great way for us to kind of supplement what we're doing at home and it's worked out really well for us the last few years. All right. I was going to ask you if you are involved in a co-op, so you answered my question. So you teach in the co-op as well yourself? 
That's right. Um, I have tended to teach junior high and high school students because I do classes like fiction writing or I did business law last year and government this year. Uh, and it works out well because a lot of parents are intimidated by those higher grades, and that's when I really enjoy starting to work with students because you can have conversations and really start challenging them. Um, and with me, my goal is to make sure that when they get to college that they're at least somewhat prepared for what that kind of um, classroom experience will be. And so, mm-hmm. you know, the papers yeah. and speeches and all kinds of fun stuff. So the students never know what to expect when I come in, but we have a good time. Yeah, yeah, well, that's, that sounds – it sounds um... – busy but you're obviously very well organized because you have you know you you you're an attorney as well um how do you do that is that a full-time job or um how how do you fit that into your routine um yes i've been very fortunate in that i have as the kids have gotten older i've work with a firm that has allowed me to scale back or do a lot of work from home so right now um i'm do a few hours of legal work a week, but the bulk of my time is spent on writing and homeschooling. And then I also teach classes at a Ten University, but there again, it's usually one class at a time, a couple afternoons a week. So it allows me to keep my fingers in the professions and the things that I enjoy, but keep my primary focus at home and on the writing right now. Mm. And you've written, well, 15 to date, you've got 15 published books, or are there more now? There are 15 that are published right now, and then I have two that I'm currently writing that will be coming out in the next couple of years. Mm. And you do those, what? Well, how old are your children? I haven't even asked you that. How old are your children? I have a 12-year-old who's doing 7th and 8th grade work, a guy that just turned 9 and he's doing 4th grade work, and then I have a 4-and-a-half-year-old who's doing kindergarten, and a little guy who turns two on Sunday. So we've got a wide range of ages, but it keeps things fun and hopping around here. Yeah, and um, do you manage to write every day, or do you just write at certain times during the week? Um, When I'm under a deadline like I am right now, I've got a word count that I pretty much have to hit every day. And so from now through February 15th, when the second book gets turned in, I'll be writing pretty much every day with a week off for Christmas, I hope. Um, and so it's, I kind of have to plan it out. And for the most part, my writing occurs in the evening, you know, starting around 8.30 or 9 when the kids are headed to bed. Um, and when my husband's around, I can help with that process. And then I just kind of put my head down and start writing and uh, keep going until I hit my word count for the day. Right, and how long does that take? It depends. Most of the time I can get my 2,000 words done in an hour and a half or two hours. Um, it just depends on how much I have to stop and do research while I'm going or mm-hmm. you know, other things that might be happening in the day that might slow it down some. But for the most part, if I really am focused, I can get my writing done in about that two-hour time period. Yeah, so that's just that's sitting down and writing your 2,000 words and not – you do your editing or you go back and redo maybe the next time you sit down or the when you, I don't know, at another time? Or are you just concentrating on getting all of the words down on paper and then you will go back and do your editing? Um, most of the time what I try to do is edit what I wrote the day before as I sit down to kind of help me get back into the story and get back into where I'd left my core characters the night before. Mm-hmm. Right now, I'm actually under such a tight deadline that my focus at the moment is 
for example, in the next few weeks, I want to write 28,000 words, but then I'll have a week to just go through and read the whole thing from start to beginning. And if I think there are things I need to edit or change, what I often do is I'll make a note to myself um, so that I won't forget when I come back. All right. Now we're going to go on a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Get ready to learn and play with Mrs. A, your host, Barbara Allison, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Did you know that kids are only 20% of the population, but they are 100% of the future? How are you preparing your child for that future? The years between the ages of 0 and 6 are crucial for learning and development. Barbara Allison is a teacher, parent, and author on supporting children's early learning. Learning starts even before a child is born, and parents are children's first teacher. Join Mrs. A for ideas, tips, and suggestions for fun learning and play activities as she helps you support your child. Starting early is starting smart. For more on Mrs. A, her books, the show, and her blog, check out her website, 123kindergarten.com. Then, come learn and play with Mrs. A with your host, Barbara Allison, Mondays at 11 a.m. Central on the Rockstar Radio Network. Chances are, you didn't give birth to Einstein. So why are you trying to raise your child to be like him? Welcome to Stop Raising Einstein with your host, Tara Kennedy Klein. Woohoo Radio Network's parenting show dedicated to helping you release the myth of the perfect parent and discover the unique brilliance in your child and you. Tara and her panel of amazing, intelligent, and sometimes off-the-wall guests will share the tips, tools, trends, and techniques available that will help you stop raising Einstein and start relishing your role as a proud and present parent. Join her every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central Standard Time for Stop Raising Einstein, only here on the WooHoo Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Kara, I could talk to you forever about writing because that's my um, sweet spot. When I sit down and start to write, the time just flies by before I know where I am. Like three hours have flown by and I go, oh, my gosh. But, oh, <laughs> so um, I know exactly how you feel. And I, I just want to ask one little question, though. Where is, is this pressure of having to write so many thousands of words in a, in a period of time does it take away from the joy of the writing, or are you able to keep the joy going? You know, that's a great question. And uh, what's always interesting about writing is you'll get excited about an idea, and you, know, you write the proposal, and you send it out, or in my case, my public or my agent sends it out and tries to see if any publishers are interested, and I'll be talking it up. 
And then the contract usually doesn't come for a while. And so then I'll get new ideas and I'm excited about those. And then the contract comes and I've got to regenerate that enthusiasm for, okay, why did I think this was such a fantastic idea and something mm-hmm. I absolutely had to write? Mm-hmm. And so there really is a process when I'm starting to write a book again that there's about a week or two where I'm spending a lot of time just going back through the research and trying to rediscover that excitement and enthusiasm. And then once I've got that, then the writing becomes much easier. Mm-hmm. And then so what's you- really cool because, like, right now, one of the books I'm writing is uh, historical during World War II. And so about the time I'm losing steam, I'm like, man, this just seems like work. I'll pick up a um, one of my research books, and I'll start going through it. And I'll be like, oh, my gosh, I've forgotten this. Or I didn't realize this had happened. And all of a sudden, that passion and enthusiasm is back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you get an idea and you write a, a proposal and you um, give it to your agent and she goes and shops it, you leave that idea alone. You don't go and pursue it until you get a contract. That's the way I've been able to write. Um, only the first two books that I wrote were fully complete manuscripts before they were purchased. Mm-hmm. And so for the rest of them, I really have been fortunate in that I've been able to develop the proposal, the synopsis, the sample chapters. And mm-hmm. then I start looking for that next idea while I'm waiting to see if it's going to be something that a publisher is going to be interested in. And sometimes I know that it's just going to be a process. Maybe I'm a little bit ahead of the curve on um, what publishers are looking for. And so I just kind of keep working and keep looking, knowing that at some point it will all connect. And so just really believing that God's timing is perfect Mm -hmm. and that he will make the way at the right time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you do say um, that you are an ordinary woman with an amazing God. Let's talk a little bit about that. Tell me some of the ways in which um, God works in your life. I can't imagine truly doing life without God because he is just a constant source of not just, you know, I guess encouragement, but he is really the one who has walked with me on so many of these journeys, you know, being a homeschooler, the very first homeschooler that my community college or my department at the university had seen, you know, and to think that as a 16-year-old, I'm just walking in there and creating expectations for future homeschoolers. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's just so many different times in my life. God has opened doors I couldn't have anticipated. Mm-hmm. Um, normally, when you're talking to someone about their writing journey, the normal amount of time it takes to go from an idea that, hey, I want to write, to an actual published book has traditionally been seven to nine years of working and meeting the right people and developing your writing skills. And I decided to start writing really as a, I want to get published in 2005, and literally a year later, I had my first contract. Mm-hmm. Well, that's completely God. And mm-hmm. the way that it's just moved ever since then, um, you know, teaching at a Big Ten university, I don't think I really could have articulated that that was something that I really wanted to do. But God has just opened the door and given me that ability to do something I really love, but that also lets me be home with my kids most of the time. And so he's just a constant, steady source in my life. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, I truly can't imagine life without him. Mm-hmm. And what do you do? Because you're going to have moments of complete meltdown where you go, I am just too busy. I just can't, you know, there have got to be days like that because if you're ordinary, then <laughs> we all go through that. So what do Absolutely. You do about, 
yeah, how do, how do you get through that? I know, I'm, I'm sure you go to God, of course, but some specific tools that you use. Yeah, one of the things that I do, and I'm still developing in this area, I tend to be a person who, if someone asks me to do something, most of the time I will look at what they're asking and I'll go, I can do that. And so traditionally my answer has always been, yes, I would be happy to do that. And I've been learning to really evaluate what I should do, what God's calling me to do, against what I'm being asked to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that also has meant that there's a pretty much annual process where I'll just be praying with God and going, okay, am I still where you want me to be? Is this, am I still doing the things you want me to do? Um, do you want me to stop writing? Do you want me to stop doing this? Is there something else, a different place you want me? And that process helps a lot. Um, when I am truly just going crazy, like last night was one of those nights where there's been a week of building stress and, um, you know, I've been writing till one o'clock most mornings and so, you know, my kids don't sleep in just because I've been writing. And so, you know, I was just, I could tell I was getting really tired. Um, and so I made time to get on the treadmill. For me, I need that release of stress that comes with exercising. And so last night I came home from um, being at the gym with our kids and said, okay, it's time for me. I need to just get on the treadmill with a good book and run for a while. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, trying to take those opportunities to do a little self-care. And because as moms, and especially as homeschooling moms, we spend so much time pouring our lives into other people that we often forget we need to take care of ourselves too. And I am the worst at that. So just trying to develop an awareness of where am I personally and what do I need to do um, to give myself just a little bit of time and grace. So you say you... um Annually, you'll you'll reevaluate and and see, pray and decide: is this what God do, does? God still want me to write, or am I being drawn in this direction or that direction? And I find that I do the same thing, and very often I, you know, second guess myself and say, "Well, you know, is that because that's what I really, really want to do? How much of it is me and how much of it is God's direction? So how do you distinguish between that? You know, I really, that is just a hard area. You know, how can we figure out what's our desire versus where God truly wants us? And my life verse has been Psalm 37, verse 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And I couple that with... um, just trying to have an attitude of holding things with a very open hand um, so that I'm not clutching it tightly. And it's hard. I like having books come out. I like um, you know, having these different things as part of my status as who I am. But the most important thing in my life is that I am a child of the Most High God. And so I really have tried over the last five or so years to just develop a heart attitude that says, okay, God, is this where you want me? And then really trying to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And if that peace leaves, then really spending time in prayer and asking in and trying to evaluate why. Is it just because I'm stressed by everything I'm doing? Or is it that God's saying, okay, it's time to move on? Because one of the things that I've really learned as in just some personal study was, um, you know, the whole idea of the Israelites leaving Egypt and then they get to the 
is the wilderness, and all, what do they want to do? They want to go back. They want to go back to what was comfortable and what was easy. And any time we are really with God, He's going to keep pushing us into areas where we have to rely on Him, and that's uncomfortable. And so being willing to move into those uncomfortable areas so that I can be right where God wants me, and just praying that He'll continue to change my desires until they mirror His heart. Do you have a feeling deep, deep down inside, even when you're going through some very stressful times and thinking, oh, I don't know whether God really wants me to do this, but I know God's with me, so if he really does, I'll do it. Deep, deep down somewhere, you are at peace. You know, even though the outside around you is is going crazy, you've got that peace inside you that you know you are doing God's will. Absolutely. Absolutely. And sometimes I think when we are getting stressed, it's because we are being effective and we are where God wants us. And that's the last thing our enemy wants. You know, he wants us to reach a point where we're like, oh, I must be doing something wrong because this isn't easy and I'm being stretched. Well, why do we think it's going to be easy to do what God asks us to do? Mm-hmm. I mean, really, he wants us to grow and develop. And that requires change. And it's often in the stressful moments where when I'm being really honest with God and I'm stripping away everything and going, okay, what's really the issue? What's really going on in my life? Nine times out of ten, he's pointing right at me going, here's an issue I want to deal with in your life, and this was the way to get your attention. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, just being willing to go, okay, God, <laughs> let's uh, let's work on it. Because my thing is I always want to learn whatever lesson he has for me and learn it well enough that I don't have to go through it again. Yeah. <laughs> and we tend to do that a lot, don't we? Yes, we do. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, well, I want to talk a little bit about, uh, you know, it's December and we've got Christmas coming up and you've got your writing deadline. Do you let go a little bit of the homeschool? Do you relax a little bit during this month? Um, actually, I usually don't. We'll probably do school up until um, the week before Christmas and one of the reasons is that there are certain periods during the year um, when I'm going to be gone. Yeah, I've got a, a conference that I go to every September, which when I add board meetings to the front of it, it ends up being almost a week without school. And so mm-hmm. we have to kind of compensate at other times. But what we'll do is we'll do some field trips. We try and do some Christmas-focused things, you know, do some art-type things because I'm terrible at incorporating that during the year on a weekly basis. So I do try to recognize that it's a different time of year, but still keep the English and um, math and things like that going. Right, Carol, we're going to have to go on another really quick break, and I would like you to come back just for about five minutes and we can find out where people can go find you, where people can go go um, buy your books and um, you know learn a little bit more about what you do. So will you be able to do that? Yes, I sure will. Okay, well, we're going on a short break, so off you go, but don't go far. And look up Kara Putman. If you just type her in, Google her, which you can do, um, you'll be able to uh, find her. She pops straight up. handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling. That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. 
Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Pinrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on toginet.com. Life after an autism spectrum diagnosis doesn't have to be difficult. It can be joyful, happy, and filled with hope. Join Shannon Penrod, author, speaker, coach, and mom of a six-year-old recovering from autism for this inspirational hour of hope. She's even authored a series of children's autism books with her son, Jim. For more information about the books, Shannon, and Everyday Autism Miracles, go to her website, shannonpenrod.com. From there, you can also get to her other websites, blogs, and connections. On Everyday Autism Miracles, you'll hear stories from parents whose children have made miraculous strides. You'll also get the inside dish on therapies, treatments, supplements, and how to get funding to help you afford them. Miracles abound in the autism community. So tune in for Everyday Autism Miracles to listen, share, laugh, and surround yourself with hope. Everyday Autism Miracles with Shannon Penrod. Friday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Information about book publishing is power. The power to change your authoring life and the power to change the lives of your readers. So join us for Your Guide to Book Publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 Pacific on the Rockstar Radio Network. We'll hear about statistics, scenarios, and strategies on what to do now. As the book shepherd, Dr. Judith Bryles is in. And each week, she will include publishing professionals that will reveal tips and secrets to the author's journey. If there is a book in you, you want to listen, learn, and yes, call in with your questions each week. For more on Judith and what she can do for you, check out her website, thebookshepherd.com. It's your guide to book publishing. Everything you want to know but didn't know what to ask. Brought to you by Author You and The Book Shepherd. With your host, Dr. Judith Bryles. Thursday evenings at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific. On the Rockstar Radio Network. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. You say you write history and you're fascinated by other people's lives and other people are fascinated by your life. And I think that's, that's curious that we never think of our lives as being fascinating. We think of other people's lives as being fascinating. Absolutely. I was just having this conversation with a friend um, just a couple nights ago at gymnastics and how we often think of our own lives as vanilla. Oh, there's nothing interesting. There's nothing exciting. And then other people will be looking at us going, oh, I want that life. And yeah. so sometimes it's helpful to ask other people, okay, how do you see me? Because my perspective is not always the right perspective. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a great question. Yeah. Um, okay. So, um, Cara, tell us where we can go. Um, to find you and your books. And, oh, I didn't ask you, are they adult books? Are they young adult books? Um, who, who are they written for? My um, books are, my novels are written for primarily an adult audience. However, I write them in a way that a parent or a grandparent can give them to a teen and not worry about the content inside the pages. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're not going to find swearing. You're not going to find... Um, you know, they're rated PG versus being rated R. So there's just a, I want them to be books that can be read from 13 on up and people don't have to worry about what their team's going to be exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, and my books can be found really anywhere, Barnes & Noble, um, Family Christian Stores, Amazon.com. I mean, really anywhere that sells books, um, that sells, sells Christian books, you can 
find my books there, cbd.com, all those places. And then I have a website, Kara Putman, P-T-M-A-N, and Kara is with a C, and that's .com. And um, on there, there's information about all of my books as well as first chapters for most of them so that people can try them and see if it's something that might interest them. And I also have a blog that I post things up on at least three times a week. Sometimes it's other books that I'm reading that I'm really enjoying, or it might be homeschooling tips, um, things that God's showing me. And then I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest. So all of those are other ways that people can interact with me. Okay, so as long as they know how to spell your name, um, they can find you. So it's, Absolutely. Yep. It's, yeah, C-A-R-A-P-U-T-M-A-N. Yes? That's right. Caraputman.com. And I usually just type in Kara Putman and put homeschooler next to it so that I absolutely get the one I want. And, um, yeah, you can, you can find her all over the place. So, um, Kara, thank you so much. You, you're very, very busy. And um, you managed to carve out a little bit of time for me today. And I hope you enjoyed our conversation as much as I did. I've been talking to Kara Putman, who lives in Indiana with her husband and four children whom she homeschools. She is an attorney and a teacher at her church, as well as a lecturer at Purdue. Her love of reading and writing from a young age manifests itself into authorship. She has 15 published books to date, with many more on the way, she says. Today, we talked about her childhood as a homeschooler, when it was misunderstood and she was considered an oddity, and about balancing her two careers with her family life. And she gave us some really good tips on developing a heart attitude and a listening um, to God and also of taking care of her physical self. So, Kara, thank you so much for joining me today. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and you have a wonderful weekend. Thank you and thanks so much for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you. Bye. All right. Well, you know, I love to write, but I've never had the um, confidence to um, submit any of my writing. But perhaps one of these days I'll feel a, a calling from God, too. I'm, I'm looking for that. Um, I'm looking out of my window at the moment, and it's a little bit chilly, but they say it's going to get up to about 70 today. I don't know. The leaves have fallen. And um, it seems that suddenly they were gone from the trees. One day, there they were, waving in the wind, and the next day they're all over my patio, crammed into corners, rubbing up against my front door, covering my pool cover. Look quite ugly, but, you know, I'll go suck them all up, and the next day they'll be all out there again. So I'm not going to waste my time. And we had um, my mother-in-law here last week for Thanksgiving, which was great. She very rarely comes up. She lives in Lindale. And my son, my youngest son, who's getting married, he was wild manning it en route to Chicago. And he decided to drive back for Thanksgiving. And he drove through the night from that windy city without us knowing. And he said, oh, mom, I didn't get drowsy until about 30 miles north of home. So he stopped for breakfast and called me to say what he'd done. And he said he was safe and sound. And my Texan was complaining to his mother at Thanksgiving um, about what our son had done. And she said, don't you talk to me about driving through the night. I can't remember how many times you and your friends drove straight through from your gigs around Texas because they were in a band and how many times you promised that you wouldn't. So my poor Southern cowboy who was brought up short by one who knows everything and forgets nothing. Mum, that's what we're there for, isn't it? That's our jobs. Well, I am going to answer a question one of my listeners actually said to me. 
How do I teach my child the alphabet if my child doesn't sing? So I don't remember learning my ABCs by singing them. So how did I learn them? Well, I think it was just repetition. Plus, I was ever such an early reader, so I could read before I actually knew my alphabet um, properly, you know, in order. And thinking about it, I never really did learn my ABCs that well in order because I don't know. If you ask me, does L come before M or after O, I couldn't tell you. I'd have to recite the whole alphabet in my head to give you that answer. So I never could win any dictionary use contests that we had at school. But um, one of my children used to get stuck when he was saying ABC and go ABCDEFG and then go WWWW. That was, that was how he said his alphabet and they loved getting to lemon and op they didn't really know what they were saying it was just like a, a rush of sounds but i think they sang but i don't know how would you do it without singing let's see well why don't we um teach our children the alphabet signing to them i'm sure there's somewhere online that you can go and you can find all the letters of the alphabet signed and that would be interesting because that would give them something to do with their hands and then my favorite book for the alphabet was dr seuss's book all about Aunt Annie's Alligator, A-A-A. I loved that book. And as a writer, I could suggest that maybe you write a custom book for your child, a custom al uh, um, alphabet book. You could do A as for astronaut or whatever they're interested in. And there's also a game that can be played where the letters of the alphabet must be used in order. You can sit in a circle or you can just do it around the table. You know, I went to the grocery store and bought a bag of apples. And then the next person says, I went to the grocery store store and bought a bag of apples and a packet of biscuits and then the next person says i went to the grocery store and bought a bag of apples a packet of biscuits and a pound of carrots and you can go on and on through the alphabet it gets a little bit challenging in some parts or you can spend the night with your best friend you don't have to go to the grocery store and take along your ant farm and your um bobby socks and that kind of thing um, categories, the game categories is good. Instead of a random letter, you could do it in alphabetical order because, you know, you've got to try and get the order of the alphabet learned, memorized. I know it kind of holds me up a bit when I'm going through my dictionary. In fact, I know my books of the Bible um, better than I know the order that my alphabet goes in. It hasn't held me back. Um, so you could do categories and you could just choose, um, you know, go through the alphabet and you could do it um, based on what you're learning at school at the moment, like historical events in history or historical figures or primary colors. And I would definitely um, stretch it a bit and accept hot pink as a color if the letter was aged. Um, one of my children spent a 12-hour trip to Santa Fe teaching herself the alphabet backwards. I mean, that's what she did for those 12 hours. And she still, oh, it must be six or eight years later, she still knows it. She'll still recite it. And really, nobody knows whether she's reciting it accurately because do you know your alphabet backwards? I sure don't. Um, and I never claim to have a nerd-free household either. My children like to do some pretty nerdy things. Uh, the repetition of writing the alphabet out um, could work. And during my Montessori school days, I made sandpaper letters, um, which was fun. And then the, the children at a young age can kind of feel 
a shape of the letter. And you can use shaving foam. Shaving foam is a good thing too. You just um, spray shaving foam all over your kitchen table or over a portion of your kitchen table and have your children draw the letters into it. That's so much fun. So there are lots of ways to learn the alphabet. You don't have to sing it, okay? I could go on and on and on. Actually, you could write a little paragraph about something and every word had to start with the next letter of the alphabet. That's quite a challenge. Adults can do that too. Or recite, oh yes, we could recite the alphabet phonetically. That's my favorite thing to do. And that's how I taught my children the alphabet was it was so funny because that's the way they learned to read. So um, yes, phonetically, excellent, excellent. Um, okay, well, I'm getting close to the end here, but um, I was wondering, uh, we took a Christmas photograph this, this uh, Thanksgiving, you know, while we were all together for Thanksgiving, I thought, what else can we do with the whole family so we don't have to have a second gathering where everybody has to try and carve out time to be here at the same time as everybody else. And my younger son, the one who does the driving and the wild man stuff said, but we've taken our Christmas photo. We did it in the summer. And I looked at him and I said, well, we did it in the summer before we went to England. That was 18 months ago. We used that photograph last year. And he went, wow, was it really that long ago? And I do. I have a problem with that too. I think, oh, I've done something. It was a couple of weeks ago. And I find that it was like two months ago. So we did our Christmas photo. Nobody likes doing that, but they love the result. So I had it all schemed out. I knew exactly what we were going to wear and how we were going to stand. And so, so we got that done. So that's good. And my oldest son is tweaking it. So those of you who are on my list will get a really fun Christmas card this year. And I'm finished. That's it for another week. I'm going to the Christmas Toganet party this weekend. That's tomorrow in the pretty East Texas town of Palestine. Maybe we'll go see a movie. Life of Pi looks good. And I'll be here same time, same place next week on Toganet Radio. Without further ado, I'll say thanks to my handsome husband who believes in love at first sight, our four children who are the result of that belief, the hardworking staff at Toganet Radio. I get to see you all tomorrow. You who, my guest, Kara Putman, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne and Lindell, Hannah, Tina, Rosemary, Christine, Joel, Laura, many others who are part of my growing audience. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, doop, doop. Doodoodoop. And I'll see you next week. And listen for the music, because here it comes. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on 